Hello and welcome to a special episode of my IB Notes podcast. Um, I am going away and I won't be able to do any work, but I will be able to listen to podcasts. So my idea for this one is um, for psychology, I'm going to be asking an SAQ or an ERQ, then giving a pause for myself or whoever is listening to try and decide which essay, which um, study or studies would be relevant for that question. And then I will be stating the study and outlining um, the entire study. First, we have three SAQs that are all, two SAQs, sorry, that are all relevant to the same study. One research method used when studying the brain and behavior and one study in localization or neuroplasticity. I'll repeat, that's one research method used when studying the brain and behavior, and one study into localization or neuroplasticity. The study is Maguire et al. Maguire et al. 2000 aimed to find a correlation between localization of function and regions of the brain. They used MRI scans to compare the brains of 16 right-handed, healthy male London taxi drivers who have to remember a map of the streets of London in order to get their license. Each driver had been driving for over 18 months. Um, They had an age range of 32 to 62 years of age, with the mean age being 44 years old. There was also a control group of males who were also healthy and right-handed, yet they were not taxi drivers. The results of the MRI scans showed a significant difference in the size of various parts of the hippocampus, specifically the right posterior hippocampus, and that was larger for the taxi drivers, whereas the anterior hippocampus was larger for the control group. The volume of the hippocampus correlated with how long participants had been driving a taxi. This evidence supports the theory that the posterior hippocampus in each side of the brain stores spatial imaging and responds to an individual's needs of the environment. The next SAQ is one study into neural networks or neural pruning. One study into neural networks or neural pruning. The study is Dragonsky et al. 2006. Dragonsky et al. 2006 conducted a field experiment to determine whether, after learning a new motor skill, there would be structural and functional changes in the brain. Researchers used MRI scans to determine if changes had occurred in the brains of people learning to juggle. There was a juggling group and a non-juggling control group. They each had their brains scanned three times individually, once before learning to juggle, once after three months of learning to juggle, then once after three months of not juggling. There was no difference between the two groups at the beginning, but in the second scan, the size of two areas in the brain had increased in size in the juggling group. This difference became smaller after three months of no juggling. The conclusion was that the action of juggling strengthened neural networks in parts of the brain responsible for this activity. But the differences were temporary and relied on continuing the activity or else neural pruning took place. 
Nextly, we have three more SAQs that all belong to the same study. The first one is one study into a neurotransmitter and its effect on behavior. That's one study into a neurotransmitter and its effect on behavior. <clears throat> How one excitatory or inhibitory neurotransmitter affects behavior. How one excitatory or inhibitory neurotransmitter affects behavior. And lastly, one agonist or antagonist and its effect on behavior. One agonist or antagonist and its effect on behavior. The answer is Antonova et al. 2011. Antonova et al. 2011 aimed to see how the neurotransmitter acetylcholine ACH acted in the brain to aid spatial memory and that this action could be reduced or inhibited by the chemical scopolamine. They tested 20 men with an average age of 28 years in a virtual reality maze. Everyone was randomly allocated to either a scopolamine or saline injection group, which was the placebo or the control group. Um, neither the researchers nor the participants knew who was in which group, and this is called a randomized double-blind crossover experiment. Their brains were scanned using a functional magnetic resonance in imaging device, which stands for, which FMRI stands for. Um, they engaged in the task of finding their way around the maze whilst being scanned. ACH acts mainly in the hippocampus, which is especially related to, related to spatial memory. After one trial, participants um, went home, then they returned three to four weeks later and were injected with the opposite solution. Um, this was well enough controlled to show a cause and effect relationship rather than just a correlation. The researchers concluded that scopolamine reduced activity in the hippocampal area and the participants who received scopolamine made more errors than those who received this placebo. This shows that scopolamine decreases ACH action in the brain, confirming that ACH is associated with spatial memory in adults. Some ERQs on the topic can be research investigating the relationship between the brain and behavior, or research investigating the relationship between neuroplasticity and behavior. The response would be McGuire A. All 2000 and Dragonsky A. All 2006 for both of these studies, for both of these questions. That is McGuire A. All 2006 and Dragonsky A. All, McGuire A. All 2000 and Dragonsky A. All 2006. Two more ERQs can be techniques used to study the brain in relation to behavior and techniques used to study the brain in relation to localization of function and behavior. Techniques used to study the brain in relation to behavior and techniques used to study the brain in relation to localization of function and behavior. The two studies used for either of these questions can be McGuire et al. 2000 and Antonova et al. 2011. That's McGuire et al. 2000 and Antonova et al. 2011. Moving on, 
Um, two SAQs can be one research method used when investigating the relationship between hormones on the brain and behavior, or one hormone and its effect on behavior. Again, that's one research method used when investigating the relationship between hormones in the brain and behavior, or one hormone and its effect on behavior. The study used for these questions is Carr et al. 2016. Carr et al. 2016 aimed to see if aspects of personality would affect aggressive responses in a game. 121 healthy male participants were randomly allocated to two groups. One group received a placebo and the other group received an injection of testosterone. It was another double-blind experiment and neither the researchers nor participants knew who was in either group. All participants underwent a decision-making game to assess aggression after social provocation within the game by a partner. Measures of aggression, dominance, and impulsivity were measured using questionnaires. Researchers found that increasing testosterone alone was not enough to provoke aggression. Only people who received additional testosterone had scored high in dominance and low in impulse control and exhibited higher aggression than the control group. Another SAQ would be one ethical consideration when investigating hormones and or pheromones and behavior. The answer to this one is Nave et al. 2017. Nave et al. 2017 investigated the effect of testosterone on cognitive reflection in males. As testosterone interacts with already low impulse control and high dominance to produce aggression, it may reduce cognitive reflection. 243 healthy males gave a baseline saliva sample to measureize testosterone levels. They then received either testosterone or a placebo and went away for a few hours to let the testosterone stabilize, then returned to give another sample to check their testosterone levels. They then took the cognitive reflection test, CRT, to test their ability to override impulse judgments with deliberate responses. The results showed that participants who received testosterone had significantly lower scores on the CRT cognitive reflection test than the control group. The results demonstrated a clear effect of testosterone on cognition and decision-making in males. The last ERSAQ in this section can be related to one pheromone and its effect on behavior. That is one pheromone and its effect on behavior. The response is Wedekind et al. 1995. Wedekind et al. 1995 aimed to investigate whether females prefer male odors with different MHC, which stands for major histocompatibility complex, from their own. This may show an influence of pheromones in human adults. 44 male university students were asked to wear the same t-shirt for two consecutive nights. The shirt was kept in a plastic bag between wares, and all participants were asked to refrain from odor-creating activities such as wearing perfume or smoking. The mean age of all the participants was 25. 
Um, all female and male participants were classified by their immune systems via a specialized blood test. 49 female students were asked to rate six t-shirts by pleasantness and odor intensity. Three of the shirts had been worn by males with a similar major histocompatibility context, and three had been worn by males with different MHC. Each shirt was placed in a cardboard box, and females smelt the shirts through a triangular cutout. The researchers saw that women whose MHC was different from the males' MHC found his body odor more pleasant than males with similar MHC. This was the opposite finding of women taking an oral contraceptive pill, as they preferred men with similar MHC to their own. This raised the possibility that birth control may interfere with natural mate choice based on MHC dissimilarity. An example of an ERQ on this topic could be the relationship between one or more hormone and behavior. That is the relationship between one or more hormone and behavior. The two studies used for this were previously mentioned, Carr et al. 2016 and Nave et al. 2017. That's Carr et al. 2016 and Nave et al. 2017. For this next session, section, I'm just going to be looking at ERQs. And any SAQs also apply for both studies needed. The first ERQ would be one or more study um, researching the genetic similarity in relation to one or more behavior. That is one or more study researching the relationship between one, the genetic similarity in relation to one or more behavior. The two studies for this would be Kendler et al. 2006 and McGew et al. 2000. Kendler et al. 2006 conducted a Swedish twin study with 15,493 pairs of twins. The researchers used phone interviews over four years to diagnose major depressive disorder, MDD. Researchers found they, that a concordance rate for MDD across all twins was 38%. They also found no correlation between the number of years the twins had lived together and lifetime major depression. This suggests that it was a true heritability rate. The rate among female monozygotic twins was 44% and 31 in males compared with 11% in male and female dizygotic twins respectively. If the disorder was purely genetic, we might expect the monozygotic concordance rate to be higher, but the difference between monozygotic and dizygotic is enough to indicate a strong genetic component. McGew et al. 2000 investigated the genetic and environmental influences on adolescent addiction to tobacco and marijuana. They interviewed 626 pairs of male and female twins about their history of legal tobacco and illegal marijuana drug use, details of their home life, and they completed a questionnaire. The researchers found a slight 10 to 25% heritability rate for marijuana use with no significant differences between males and females. But tobacco had a heritability rate of 40 to 60%. The importance of a shared environment was also a prominent finding. 
participants reported that taking these drugs was a regular part of life, with reports of family members openly taking drugs and it being a normal part of the home environment. They concluded that environment appeared to be a more influential factor in determining drug use than genetics. Next, we have two questions, the relationship between genetics and behavior, and one or more genes and their influence on behavior. That is the relationship between genetics and behavior, and one or more genes and their influence on behavior. The studies for this question are Suderman et al. 2014 and Weaver et al. 2004. Suderman et al. 2014 demonstrated that 12 adults who suffered from childhood abuse were more likely to show methylation in their DNA compared to a control group of 28 who had suffered no such abuse. The participants were 45-year-old males and their blood DNA was analyzed. The study showed an increase in the gene PM20D1 in the sample that had suffered the abuse. This gene is responsible for the metabolism of amino acids and is associated with control over eating habits. Those with childhood abuse also had more long-term health effects such as adult obesity. This showed how an environmental trigger can contribute to the switching off of a gene which contributes to someone's eating habits. Evidence from this study shows a correlation between the methylation of the gene PM20D1, childhood abuse, and adult eating habits. This suggests the interaction between genes and environmental influences can predispose a person to behave a certain way. Weaver et al. 2004 investigated stress responses in rat pups who had received vigorous grooming from their mothers in the first 10 days after birth, compared to rats who had not received that much attention from their mothers. The stress response was measured was measured by placing each rat into a small tube for 20 minutes and measuring their reaction to the confined situation. The stress hormone corticosterone was measured in each rat. It was found that the rats who had attention from their mothers had lower corticosterone than the rats who did not have attention from their mothers. To test the possibility that the common anxiousness was inherited from the mothers, each pup switched the mothers, so the calm to anxious, and vice versa. It was found that the reactivity to stress depended on an adoptive mother behavior and not a biological mother behavior. This is an example of epigenetics and is explained by gene expression. Researchers showed that the glutocorticoid receptor genes in the brain are methylated when mothers neglect their pups. We can conclude that although genetics are the main factor for explaining behavior, environmental factors play a key role in the expression of genes. The last question, ERQ, for this section is one or more evolutionary explanation for behavior. That is one or more evolutionary explanation for behavior. The studies for this are Curtis et al. 2004 and Buss et al. 1992. Curtis et al. 2004 aim to investigate if disgust is an evolutionary mechanism through a study spanning worldwide. Around 40,000 participants engaged in an online survey where they rated 20 photographs on a scale of 1 to 5 of disgust. The results indicated that pictures representing objects of disease were rated as more disgusting than seemingly non-diseased photos. A final question asked participants whom they would least like to share a toothbrush with. The least acceptable person was the postman, followed by a boss at work, then the weatherman.
Sharing a person's bodily fluid becomes more disgusting when the person is less familiar because there is viewed to be more of a threat of disease from a stranger. Curtis A. All suggested that these results were evidence that disgust is an evolutionary mechanism for detecting disease, thus it plays a role in survival. Bus A. All, 2002, investigated differences between men and women in terms of psychological selection. They asked a sample of 202 undergraduate students to vividly imagine scenarios involving sexual or emotional infidelity by their partner. Their distress was assessed by various indices of emotional and physiological arousal. The results showed that sexual infidelity generated the most distress in males, whereas emotional infidelity elicited the most distress in females. This difference corresponds with what evolutionary psychology would predict. Bus et al. concluded that men are more concerned with their sperm and that it will get replaced by another man's, thus reducing their chances that their genes are passed on. This is paternity uncertainty. They cannot be sure if the baby is theirs, if the female isn't faithful. A woman is more concerned if her male partner becomes emotionally entangled with another female, increasing the likelihood that he will redistribute his resources and her and the baby may suffer. This study illustrates differences between males and females in terms of sexual selection in line with what would be predicted in the evolutionary theory. That's all for this episode of my IB Notes podcast. Thank you so much for listening.